God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and that you would do something new within us. We thank you for Jesus who has inaugurated the new creation. And God, would you make us new from the inside out again? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Verse 1, about that time, Caesar Augustus ordered the census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel or in the inn. There were shepherds camping, camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. I love that translation. A savior has been born in David's town, a savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're looking for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherders talked it over. Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. I love that. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherders were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them deep, dear within herself. The shepherders returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. All right. There's this powerful, powerful story of Jesus coming to the earth. This is, regardless of what you believe about God, regardless of your perspective this morning on who Jesus is, and we say this all the time, and I'll say that this morning here as well. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a Muslim, a Buddhist. Like, this place is open to everybody. Can we all just say that? Like, God's table is big enough for everybody. And we believe that when we open our doors wide and we allow everybody in and we're authentic and genuine with what we're doing, if God's really in it, like, that's going to speak for itself. Can we just say amen to that, right? So there's none of this religious control. We're not into that religious control, okay? Uh, and so Jesus, this story, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what your perspective on God is, Jesus, the Bible, the scriptures, like this story was, was the most important uh, event in human history. It really was. And, and that's true whether you believe in Jesus or not. This event of, of Jesus coming to the earth, historically, uh, it's, it's a proven fact that there was a guy named Jesus from Nazareth that walked the earth. Now, whether you believe he's the son of God, that's a whole other issue in itself. We can talk about that afterwards. But it is, a, it is a historical proven fact that Jesus walked this earth, that he was crucified, and all that stuff happened. It's, it's, a, it's a historical fact. And so Jesus, this event happens that ch it, it literally changes the course of human history. I mean, I, I could go on and on about what this has done to, to the world. Now, in this time, it's, there was a census going on where they still do this today. So they'll mail it to your house. It's very convenient. Like, I wouldn't have to get up and get on my donkey. You know what I mean? The ride to Colorado where I was born. Like, 
you know, you get the census in the mail, you fill it out, you put your information in, and boom, it's submitted, right? Uh, but back in this day, it was different. You had to come from whatever area and outlying region that you were in. You had to go back to your, your place of birth, and then you had to go to the main hub of the city. And so when they traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem, uh, that would, or from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem, that would have been a voyage between around 70 to 90 miles. Now, I don't know about you, uh, I need to get back on the treadmill. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, amen, brother. Get it together. Get it together. But 80 to 90 miles, man. So I don't know about you, some of you women that have had a baby, like you're not going to walk 80 to 90 miles when you're about to have your baby. Can we just admit that's like, like that's, that's a long walk. Like walking a mile is hard with that type of pressure, right? I've heard about the pressure. I don't never been through it. But there's pressure. There's this funny thing online, a little rabbit trail. It's funny, though. Uh, there's this thing online where they hooked up these men to, like, these little electrodes. Have you guys ever seen this? To simulate a woman's birth. Man, we're a bunch of babies, you know? They got that joker turned on, like, two. It goes up to ten. You know, that is, like, the worst part of childbearing. They got it on two. These guys are riding like babies, you know? Anyways, they, I heard the closest thing that a man can experience to having a baby is kidney stones. Any kidney stone people in here? You ever experienced that? Heard you'd rather want to die. Nobody's gonna admit that, are they? Anyways, moving on. So 90, 90 mile voyage, right? 90 miles. And this isn't in the story, but I'm just, sometimes with the scripture, you have to use your imagination. You gotta put yourself in that place and time to understand the context of the story. You gotta understand sometimes what's going on historically speaking. And in that time, if you were somebody who was poor uh, or had less money like Joseph and Mary did because of their family and where they lived and that whole thing, like Nazareth was known as like the ghetto of the first century, right? They even say to Jesus at one time, hey, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, right? What do you mean you got your own business, man? You're from East Avenue, you know what I mean? Like it's that kind of thing, you know? And so... Most historians believe that Mary, she rode, uh, if you had money, you would get a chariot or you would get a horse. But some of the poor people, you either had to walk or you would have a cheaper animal, which is a donkey. It's a donkey, right? And, and this isn't in the Bible, but historically speaking, logically speaking, if she's like eight months pregnant, she probably rode a donkey. Can we just say that? All right? And so most historians believe she rode a donkey. So And, and the reason... That donkeys are inter interesting is donkeys can they can uh, they can walk through more difficult mountainous terrain more than a horse or a chariot, right? Really interesting. The, a donkey would give you the ability to navigate more difficult terrain. I want you to remember that a donkey would give you the ability to navigate more difficult terrain. A donkey was a hum it was a humble animal. It wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't an expensive animal. It wasn't like the war horse of the day, you know what I mean? Or like this white stallion, you know, this was like the lowly animal of the day. So most people believe she rode a donkey. And and this is interesting to me because when I when I was studying this and reading this, like Jesus from the very beginning was riding a donkey. Right? So if if historically speaking, uh culturally speaking, this is probably what happened. Uh Jesus, the first time, like as he's in Mary's womb, he's being carried on a donkey through difficult places, right? It's interesting to me. There's another portion of scripture where Jesus was carried 
by a donkey. He's getting ready to usher in his kingdom. He knows he's getting ready to be crucified. He's, he's heading into Jerusalem for the Passover, and he wants to make this huge guerrilla theater spectacle about who he is. And so he tells his disciples, hey, man, I want you to go down to, to so-and-so's house. There's going to be a donkey that nobody's ever ridden. Now, again, remember the symbolism of a donkey. The donkey helps you to navigate difficult places and go through difficult stuff. It carries you through things that a horse or a chariot can't carry you through. How many of you guys know when you go through hard times, it gives you the ability to now walk through some stuff that you couldn't walk through before because you can look back and say, hey, if I've gone through that, if I've been carried through that, then I'm going to be okay. And so Jesus comes in. He tells the disciples, hey, I want you to get this donkey right before he's about to be crucified. Nobody's ever ridden a donkey. He gets on the donkey. People lay down palm branches. They say, Hosanna, you are the son of David. You know, it's a way of acknowledging this is the Messiah. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And so Jesus, at his birth, right, when he's in Mary's womb, he rides a donkey. Uh, as, he's, as he's getting ready to be crucified, as he's going into Jerusalem to publicly uh, proclaim who he is, he rides a donkey. Very interesting. So... She rode a donkey, uh, Mary did, ushering in a new kingdom with her, with her son Jesus. Jesus, later in his life, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey later to announce his coming kingdom. From the very beginning and all the way to, and I find this interesting, from the very beginning all the way to the end, Jesus chose to associate himself with the humble. From the very beginning, if you look at Jesus' life, if you look at the people that he hung around with, the people that he associated himself with, like he wasn't just hanging out with the people who were at the top of the hierarchy in his world and in his day. There was those times that he, were, he was with those people. But Jesus, just like the donkey, he always, from the very beginning, associated himself with the humble, right? Because only the humble are fit to carry the Messiah. If you don't remember anything I say this morning, I want you to remember this. When we're full of pride, we're full of arrogance. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. Like, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Like, I don't, I don't need God. Like, when we're filled with this pride and we're, this arrogance, like, it's going to be real hard to connect with who God is. But when we humble ourselves and we say, hey, man, like, God, I need you. I need you. I need you as much today as I did the moment I first believed. I posted something about that on the Internet recently. And I, and I talked about, thank God for Jesus, the light of the world that met me in my darkest night. And I said, I still need God today as much as I did the moment I first believed. Can we just acknowledge that, those of us that have been walking this thing out for a little bit of time, let's not get so filled with religion and arrogance and pride that we think for a second that we don't need, that we need Jesus any less. I just want to say, as the pastor of the French Church, I need Jesus, man. I need Jesus. Like, I can't make it without him. I, I can sell drugs without him. I can ruin my life without him. I, I can, I can, you know, I can go back to that lifestyle of darkness and despair and depression. Like I can do that. Like I, I'm good at that. But I, I can't make it without Jesus. I can't be. A, come on, man. I can't be a good husband without Jesus. I can't lead my family without Jesus, right? I can't run a good, respectable trustworthy, honest business without Jesus. I can't handle traffic without Jesus. I'll strangle somebody. I'll smack somebody. Anybody there, right? I need Jesus. I need Jesus, man. So only the humble are fit to carry the Messiah. There's this interesting phrase in here, and today's title of today's sermon is this. It's the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. That's the title of today's sermon. And, and you see this all throughout this story, that Jesus 
doesn't pick the, the place of the spotlight for his birth. He doesn't pick the most likely place to be born. He doesn't pick the most likely place to announce that he's here, right? He's born in a stable. He's born around animals, right? And so it's, and it's, and there's this phrase that if we can just scroll down to it, uh, let's, let's go down. It says that there was no place for him, for him in the end. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the, in the hostel. A hostel is basically another way of saying an inn. This is a very key phrase. I want you to remember this. And, and, why, and I thought about this, and I thought, man, like, as I'm reading this, like, I've heard this story a thousand times. Like, there's no room for him in the end. We've all seen the little nativity scenes. They've got a nice one up here with live animals. Do they still do that on Pleasant? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Live animals. I heard about somebody that had a live nativity and the goat ate baby Jesus. <laughs> goats are something else. Hey, if you're having a hard time and you got some land, get yourself a few goats. They're really weird, funny, strange animals. They make weird noises. Uh, but the goat ate baby Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know? Uh, so they had to get another, another baby Jesus. But there's, a, there's this cool live nativity. We're all very familiar with the story, even if you weren't raised in church. Everybody, pretty much for the most part, that is born in America has heard the story at one point or another. But this phrase, we've heard this, there was no room for them in the end. And I started thinking about this, and I've heard this preached a thousand times. I've heard this story talked about a thousand times. And I thought about this, and I feel like God gave me this word for you guys, for you, for me, for the French church, for you personally. And, 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 and it's this. There was no room for them in the inn because the innkeeper, the person who ran the hostel, the person who ran the place where they were renting out rooms, they did not understand the gravity of what Mary was carrying. How many of you guys know you can come to this city of Hamilton, Ohio, and all these hotel rooms can be booked up, but let some celebrity come in here and say, hey, I'm looking for a place to stay. What will happen? Suddenly, a room will become available. You guys know what I'm talking about? The innkeeper didn't let them in because they did not understand the weight and the gravity of what Mary was carrying inside of her. And that's what I want to communicate to you. And that's what I want you to know today. Those of you that consider this your church, those of you that come every week, like sometimes people don't understand the weight of what you're carrying. And don't ever doubt the value of what God has placed in you based on how other people respond to you. Can I just tell you that? Like the world may not see the value in you. Like your, your circle, people around you sometimes, let, let's be honest, sometimes your own family, right, doesn't see the value and the weight of what you're carrying and there's no room for you and you're kept at a distance. But I want you to know as the pastor of the French church, like what you carry inside you is so powerful. It is so valuable. Like scripture says that from the moment that we're born, from the moment that our mother Conceives from the moment that our heart starts beating, man, that we are marked with the image of God. So regardless of how you feel about yourself from here this morning, the weight of what you carry is heavy inside you. Whether you can see it or not, whether you can see it or not, whether you believe you have value or not, God wants you to know that, hey, just like Mary, think if they treated Jesus like this, they're going to treat you the same way. So don't let your worth and your value be determined on who co-signs you or who doesn't. Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. I let a lot of my life get robbed. I let a lot of my calling get robbed. I let my voice get robbed because I was waiting for co-signs of people that at the end of the day, they don't matter. 
Don't let other people determine your value and your worth because when God looks at you and he looks at you regardless of your past, regardless of what type of darkness you're in this morning, Jesus says, hey, man, that is my son. That is my daughter. And the weight of what she's carrying is worth so much I'm willing to stretch my arms out and be crucified on this cross for him and for her. They didn't understand the value and the weight of what Mary was carrying. After Jesus was born and word about him began to spread throughout the land, they said to him at one point, again, I referred to it earlier, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like they actually say that, and I, I don't know about you, but like that, that really is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It is. I like that Jesus wept one because it's real short, it's easy to memorize, right? If you've never memorized a verse, you memorize one today. Jesus wept. There you go. <laughs> but I love that, like, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so when they, hear, when they hear about this Jesus movement, after he's born and he's growing up and he starts doing all this amazing stuff, all these religious people and all these people that everybody was looking for them to co-sign whatever they were doing, they hear about this dude doing all this stuff outside the religious structure, outside their control, outside the hierarchy. Come on, somebody, right? They're doing all this amazing stuff, and they say, can anything, what, what, what happens when people are jealous of what you're doing? What do they do? They start gossiping and chattering. They start gossiping and chattering and trying to throw shade, shade on your name, right? That's what happens. There's some people in life, can I just tell you this? Like from the pulpit, there's some people in life, they, they don't want to see you win, right? There's, there, there's people that just misery loves company. You ever meet somebody like this, right? They could have just won the lottery. They'll find something negative to say about it. You ever meet somebody like that? And so they say about Jesus, man, all this good stuff is happening. People's lives are being changed. People are being set free. People are being delivered. People are being awakened to the reality that they don't have to live like this anymore. They're coming out of lifestyles that were destructive. And what are these dumb religious people doing? They're, let me tell you something. They're still doing it today. People run their mouths about what we're doing here. You know that? There's people that throw shade already. We're a new church. Like, look, just get ready. Like, this is just the beginning. That stuff is going to come with what we do, right? And, and so Jesus is doing this stuff. All this amazing stuff is happening, but because the religious hierarchy can't control it, because they can't extort these people for these over-exorbitant sacrifices that they're doing at the, at the, at the, at the uh, temple, what do they do? They try to cast shadow on Jesus' character. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I want to tell you unequivocally, I'm the authority of God's word. I don't care what your story is. I don't care how educated you are or how educated you're not. Like, you have the authority and you have the wit the, you have the ability, the equal ability to be a witness for God. Can I just say that? Can I just say that? Jesus is not looking for a prosecutor. He's not, come on, some of you guys have been arrested, been to jail before, been locked up, sat in courtrooms, right? Jesus is not looking for a judge. He's not looking for a prosecutor. He's not even looking for a lawyer to defend him. We spend so much time trying to defend Jesus. I, I read something one time. Nobody spends time defending a lion. A lion just is. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. Jesus isn't looking for us to judge other people. Jesus isn't looking for us to be the prosecutor and pointing out the wrongs in other people. You know what Jesus is looking for this morning? Jesus is looking for witnesses, man. And what is a witness? A witness is that, hey, man, I was standing over there and dude got shot. You know what I mean? Whatever the story was. Hey, I was standing over there. I was in the checkout line. Somebody came in and they robbed them or whatever. This guy, he did buy the lottery ticket, you know, whatever. Sometimes you witness something good. You witness a kind act, right? A witness, all witness is, is this. Something happened, you were there, and you experienced it. That's what qualifies you 
to be a voice for God. And so regardless of where you find yourself this morning, I want you to know you don't need the religious the, the religious hierarchy. You don't need my cosign. All you need is you need that experience with God to be his witness. That's it. That's it. And, and, and your voice and, and your perspective and, and your words are just as powerful as anything that will come out of this pulpit. Can I just say that? Right? We don't need another church of like some celebrity pastor and like one person is the voice and like the dude, like the band up there looks like the, you know, like the cover of Hipster Magazine, right? Like the celebrity, like, I don't know, Stepford Wine Greeters. Like we don't need that stuff, right? What we need is we need people who have had a genuine encounter with Jesus who can be his witnesses in their own way, right? I don't need to control how you, you're the witness. I don't, I don't, I don't need to tell you how to do it. Like, look, it's, it's as simple as this. Press into who God is, say yes to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, and be a witness to that experience. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Historically speaking, they believe Jesus was born closer to the end of September. Sorry to bust everybody's bubble. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We actually did that because of pagan holidays. If you want to talk about that later, I'll explain the history of that to you. But uh, yeah, they were trying to reach out to, to pagans, and so they kind of meshed that. Uh, but historically speaking, they believe Jesus was born closer to the end of September because there's several reasons why, but one of the key reasons is they say that the shepherds were out tending their flocks at night. If you were out tending your flocks at night in December, like you wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't do it. It's too cold. Uh, and so that's what, what they believe is going on. Now, shepherds, again, back to this idea of you don't need somebody's cosign to be a voice for God in this world. Shepherds would not have been considered the best first century witness. Like, these were the people that were on the bottom of society. They were considered filthy, unclean. Like, you know, they're messing with animals and sheep are stupid. You know what I mean? And so, like, they're constantly protecting them. They're cleaning them up. They're, they're, they're shearing their fur. You know what I mean? Like, these dudes are messy, like, rough wilderness, you know, bear grills. You know what I mean? Sleeping inside a camel now. You ever see that? That dude's out there, man. If you're ever bored one day, look up Bear Grylls, some of the stuff he does, man, versus wild. That's the type of guys these were. They lived in the mountains, right? They wouldn't have been considered the highest level of witness. Again, even when Jesus was raised from the raised from the dead, you know the first people who had attested to his resurrection, you know who they were? They were women, right? They were women. So God, out of all of the people of that day who he thought would be the best first witnesses, he could have chose anybody, he chose women. So let me just say this from the pulpit again. Any church, any religion, any Jesus movement that tries to stifle the voice of women and doesn't give women an equal opportunity and voice to speak from the pulpit, to speak their voice, to communicate what God has placed inside them, that is not the move of God because from the very beginning, God counted women worthy to be a voice. Can we just say amen to that? Yeah. Amen to that, right? We need the voices of the women around us, don't we, men? We will be lost, man. Can't even find my clothes. <laughs> Sarah's like, yeah, he's, he's a man, baby. <laughs> right? And so these shepherds, man, he chose these shepherds. This was the most epic moment in the history of humanity, and God chose shepherds. You know what that tells me? No matter how, back to what I said earlier, no matter how you feel about yourself, whether you find yourself on top or you feel like you're at the bottom, you are qualified to witness who God is and what Jesus has come to do. The angel said to this, to this news, and these guys lived in a very 
a tumultuous time, a very chaotic time. There was political unrest, right? There was religious unrest. There was extreme differences in socioeconomic statuses. I'm so thankful that doesn't happen anymore. There were people who had so much money, they were swimming in it, and then there were people who couldn't even get their kid a lunch, and so when they're not going to school, somebody had to bring them a packed lunch on a motorcycle. You guys feeling where I'm going with this, right? Very different from our day. But the angel comes, they see these angels, they're horrified, I don't know about you, but if I'm just chilling like I do in my shepherd's clothing, walking through the mountains, and I see angels rip the sky open, you know, that's, that's pretty freaky. It always amazes me when people are like, oh, I can't wait to see God. You know, there's an element of that, you know, I, I'm not perfect, uh, let me just acknowledge that, but I believe I have a living, vibrant relationship with God, and I can't wait to, to see him on some level. But there's also this other level of like, I can't wait to see, ooh, man, bro, that is intense. You mean to tell me there's this being that has always existed. There was never a time that he did not exist. Before time even began, space matter began and it was all the size of a pinprick. Before there was any space for anyone to be, he was there. That is That blows my mind, right? Like this, there was this being that just, he had this whole thing in his mind before it ever came into being. And we're going to stand before, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see him. Yikes. You know, like that is intense. It, it even describes him in the book of Revelations. When God comes to put the world back together, it says that the heavens and earth will flee from his face. It's incredible, man, that he's going to roll the earth up like a scroll. Again, very Jewish symbolic uh, meaning. So this intense thing happens. These guys are horrified. Oh, my gosh, you know, what does it mean? You know, and so they're freaked out. And the angel says to them, hey, calm down, man. I bring you good news. And not just good news for you, but good news for all mankind. I'm not bringing you the news of the empire. Come on, somebody. I'm not bringing you the news of the government or the politics of that day. Like, I'm bringing you good news. I'm not bringing you, like, CNN, Fox, ABC News, Dateline News. Like, let's be honest. We go in the prisons. That stuff happens. That's not all the news. That's some of the news. There's, there's good news, right? And so he says, hey, man, I'm bringing you a different kind of news and this news is totally different. And I want to ask you this one. When people outside this building, when they hear the word God, Jesus, church, Bible, do they think of good news? What do they think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it judgment? Is it this, that, self-righteousness, you know, whatever, you know, people scamming people for money, all that, you know, all that jazz. What do people think of? When people think of us, I pray to God. When people encounter us, I pray to God. When people encounter me, when I'm buying my groceries and I'm, and I'm doing normal stuff, right, outside this building that is just as much spiritual as what happens here, I pray to God when people encounter me and my family, like we are a voice of good news. Because we've all had enough bad news. Can we just say that? There's plenty of bad news in the world. We all know there's bad things that happen. But I don't know about you, but if you sit around, if you talk to anybody that watches a lot of news, and I'm not telling you to bury your head in the sand, hang around with somebody that watches a lot of news. They're depressed people. They really are. They're fearful. You know what I mean? They're walking around strapped, paranoid. You know what I mean? Everybody's out to get them. You know what I mean? All the Muslims are terrorists. You know? Like, if you, <laughs> I mean, this stuff is real. It's true. It's true, right? 
I'm not saying bury your head in the sand. I'm not saying some of those stories aren't true that they have on there. But there's always a spin. You know that? There's always a spin to the media. There's a difference hearing about Africa on the news and being in Africa on the ground, right? There's a difference. And, and at some point, I'm going to have Josh share. Josh did a lot of work in Afghanistan and Iraq during everything that's been going on. He was over there, right? There's a difference between what we're hearing on the news and what's really happening on the ground. Can we just acknowledge that regardless of what your views are, right? We're not always given the full news, but when people encounter us, are they experiencing good news? Maybe it's time for you and I to reclaim the good news, right? That this is a good thing that God came to the earth, right? It's a, the angels even said, this isn't just good news for you guys, but this is good news for the whole entire earth. This is good news for all mankind. What does that look like to speak light to a world covered in darkness when people look at you, when people encounter you? Do they experience or encounter peace and good news? What is the predominant message that your life is sending? We need to ask ourselves this every day when we wake up. What type of message am I conveying? St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You know we're preaching the gospel on the way that we live, right? The way that I live my life, the way that I spend my money, the people that I choose to surround myself with, how I interact with people on my job, how I treat my family, like that is preaching, that's preaching something. Now, whether it's good or bad, that's our choice. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words, <coughs> use words. The angels say this, and this is in a different translation. It says, here is the sign that you will know that this is going to happen. When he, when he tells when they tell the uh, shepherds that Jesus is coming, you're going to go to this place, you're going to see this baby. Here's a sign that you're going to know it's him. There's going to be a baby wrapped in a manger. I, I, I love this. I was thinking about this. That is like the most anticlimactic statement ever made in the history of mankind. Like, you mean to tell me that God himself is coming to the earth, the word became flesh, moves into the neighborhood, that Jesus himself takes on the flesh of a man to enter the human story, to die on the cross, to resurrect. And the sign of that epic, cataclysmic thing that's going to change human history forever is a baby lying in a manger. Think about how ridiculous that is. That's like me telling you, hey, man, like the Pope's coming here tomorrow and he's going to be at the Dollar General. Right? I mean, it's ridiculous. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, it doesn't, it just doesn't match. But from the beginning, why, why did God do that? Why did Jesus choose to come to this earth this way? It goes back to the donkey. God always makes his home amongst the humble, right? And by humble, it's not just, oh, you're poor. Woe is me. My life is hard. I've been to prison. Poor is like, when I say humility, I mean like, look, like, even if I'm successful, even if I'm educated, even if I'm financially stable, I realize that without God, I could have none of that. That's humility. Humility isn't just you're poor, you're rich. It's not about all that. It's way bigger. It transcends all that. God always, from the very beginning, makes themselves, uh, makes himself present in a place of humility. It's the most uh, opposite place you would think he would come, right? And the interesting thing was, he was saying something different than the Roman Empire was saying. Because the Roman Empire, when Caesar came into town, you know what happened when Caesar came into town? If you lived during that day, there were trumpets. You guys ever see the Monty Python and all that? You know what I mean? Coconuts were going, right? 
Funny movie if you have never seen it, it's funny. Uh, right when Caesar were coming to town, there would be horses, trumpets, dudes marching, banners going on, all this hype and fanfare. And Jesus, when he comes, when he, when this king comes, he comes in the exact opposite way of the empire. The exact opposite way. Oftentimes, the places we are looking for God is the last place we will find him. Jesus wasn't always a huge fan of crowds and hype. He was often found in the least expected places, the places that seemed insignificant, the people who weren't esteemed by society, and those, he was often seen with those who the empire had placed under their foot. Jesus was even known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? The most despised people of his day. He wasn't just like their religious leader or the preacher, like Jesus was their homie, like, hey, that's my friend. Hey, there's Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine? Like, he was known as their friend. He was known as their friend. And so I want to wrap up with these two ideas. Uh, it is the Christmas season. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for him entering the human story. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that I hate. I hate Christmas music. I'm sorry. You can pray for me if you're one of those people that starts, like, the moment after Thanksgiving. Some people are crazy. It's like June. They got that joker playing. I'm like, man, you can make me jump out and play glass window. I hate I. Oh, it just grates my nerves. But there's some Christmas songs that are just so powerful. In fact, I would say these are some of my favorite songs of all time, period, any genre. And so I'm going to play two videos, and I'm going to wrap up with the gravity of the lyrics of these songs. So again, Jesus, what did we learn in the, in the first portion of this message? That Jesus comes in a way that we least expect him that you are qualified to be his witness. You don't need the co-sign of anybody else. And that when we find ourselves broken, when we find ourselves low, God rests with the humble. Amen? Powerful stuff, man, powerful stuff. Hi, you wanna say hi? Okay, two of my favorite songs of all time, for sure, for sure, powerful stuff. Uh, yeah, man, Taylor Smith killed it. That's Hill song, that second one. You guys like that dress? I'm gonna wear that next week. Gold sequins. Hey, let me tell you something about Hillsong. Those guys are the real deal. Uh, I met those guys, I've hung out with them uh, more than one occasion touring in Australia. They haven't forgot why they do what they do. They're wonderful people. Uh, and as I was looking for that song and looking for that video, you know, I found Josh Groban, you know what I mean? Celine Dion, which obviously vocally, they're at the top of their game. But there's a, you know, there's a difference between singing something perfectly pitched and singing something that you believe, right? There's a difference. So somebody could have a better voice vocally, but if they're not fully convinced in their heart and their spirit of what they're saying, there's a difference. Even if, even, you know, regardless of any music or genre that you're into, if you're into heavy metal, if that dude feels what he's saying, like you can tell the difference of a fake, like a fake scream. I know because I used to do it, right? Uh, people that rap, that, that, that create songs, just, there's a difference uh, when they're rapping about something they've experienced and they're rapping about something that's popular, right? And so when Taya sang that song, like, and I heard that, and they just put this out, like, is there some notes that Celine Dion hit that were a little better? Better? I'm not hating on Celine if you like Celine. Yeah, there was a couple that were a little, you know, better as far as, you know, pitch, and she hit some stuff that was amazing. Uh, did Josh Groban do an amazing job? Yeah, he did. But the difference with Taya is she believes it, man. She, she lives that. So she's, she's literally singing to Jesus when she's saying that. And so, you know, this, the, 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 these songs to me, and I, I want to encourage you because we're running low on time. If you get home today and you've got some time this week, 
Look up the lyrics to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and O Holy Night. Look up those lyrics because in, in one of those songs, it talks about this transformation that happens when the soul feels its worth. You know there's a transformation that happens in our hearts when we realize our worth and our value to God? Like there's something deep that happens when you realize despite your flaws, despite your weakness, despite your struggles, that your soul has worth to God. That your inner man, even though there's nothing you can do to earn it, that God, when he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, hey, that soul has worth, that person has worth, and I want to use them to bring my light to the world. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. That song, Oh Holy Night, you know, part of the chorus is fall on your knees here. You know, the Savior has come, and I don't know about you, but like 20 years later, when I think about who Jesus is, I think about who God is, and all that he's done in my life, you know my response is? It makes me want to fall on my knees and say, thank you, Jesus. And so, with every head bowed and every eye closed today, it would be a shame of me, and it would be a waste of our time this morning if I didn't offer that invitation to each and every person in this room. Maybe you're sitting in this space, and you haven't truly reached out to God you haven't said yes to Jesus. You haven't invited the light of the world into the dark spaces of your heart and mind. Today is the day for you, my brother and my sister. Today is the day that all things can be made new. Today is the day that your past can no longer have power over you. Today, your story is going to be rewritten. And if that's you and you would say, God, yes, Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth. I believe that the word of, the, that the word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe the good news. I believe that you were crucified and you died and you rose again and that the light that happened 2,000 years ago wants to come into my heart. If that's you and you want to say yes for the first time to Jesus, if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, just raise your hand because God sees it. Yes, Jesus, I reach out to you. Yes, I invite your light. Yes, I invite your light into every dark space, every dark place. God, even in my own life, 20 years later, you see the darkness. You see the struggles that I have. You see my weakness and my frailty in different areas of my life. Jesus, I still need you. If that's you and you've been walking with God, say to him in your own voice, Lord, come into my life. Come into my life again. Would you help me return to my first love? Would you help me return to the light? Would you help me to step fully into the light and not halfway, God? Would you do something new in me again today, Jesus? Would you use me to be your good news to the world around me? So, God, we say to you, yes. We say yes, Jesus, 2,000 years later, Hamilton, Ohio, 2018. Yes, we like those shepherds. We stand in awe of who you are. We stand in awe that there is a God that is greater than empire. There is a God that is greater than any ruling power or principality, and he wants to know us. And we say yes to you, Jesus. Would you come in? Would you remind us of our worth and our value? Would you speak to those of us that don't feel valuable and like we have worth? Would you remind us of the weight of what we carry? Like, like Mary, when she carried Jesus, there was no room for her in the end because they didn't see the value and weight of what she carried inside of us. Remind us, God, whether or not we have the cosign of those people around us, we have the affirmation of those people around us. Remind me, God, in my own life, when I don't have the affirmation of my father, my whole life, he's never said I've been proud of you. He's never said I love you. He's never said I 
I believe in you. Remind me, God, without that cosign that what I carry is still valuable. My life is still valuable. My voice is still valuable. Remind the French church when we don't have the funds that we need to pay bills, when we don't have the, when we're going through hard times, remind us, God, that we are still valuable and your love and your acceptance on us is not based on anything other than who you are. And it will never go away. It can never be taken. We can never lose it. And so, Jesus, light of the world, would you, would you do something new this Christmas in our hearts and minds? Would you use us? Would you start a movement with us, God? Would this be the beginning of a movement? We don't need just another church in this area. We don't need just another religious hierarchy. God, we desperately need a move of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need a move of God. We desperately need the real light, not the fake light, not the, not the neon, not the, not the religious light. We need the light of God. And God, would you come again? Would you move again? Would you use us, the, those, those of us in this room that feel like shepherds, we just feel dirty and we feel like we don't really have a place anywhere else. God, remind us that, that you want to use us to carry, just like that donkey, to carry the weight of who you are. Help us to stay humble this week. Help us to remind, remind ourselves that we need you. Save us from arrogance. Save us from religious pride. And remind us how much we need you. Jesus, we love you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for never letting me go, even when I let you go. Even when I turn and walk from you, God, you chase right after me. And so, God, would you remind every person in this room that raised their hand this morning that you will never let them go, that there is nothing they could do to escape your presence. There is nothing they could do to make you be so disappointed in them that you'll just give up on them. Remind us that you'll never throw us away like other people have thrown us away. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, light of the world. Transform us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe that, man. I believe that. I believe this is the beginning of a movement. This ain't just a church. So the revolution will not be televised. We may not have a bunch of hype. There may not be cameras. There may not be the cosign of the religious culture in this area. But this is the beginning of a movement. And I'm telling you, man, just watch. Watch and see what God does. Watch and see what he does. If you're giving today on the way out, there's a joy box in the back. Thank you so much for those of you that support the work financially for what we're doing. We appreciate that. We couldn't do anything without you. Uh, if you're giving online, you can give on our website, thefrenchhamilton.com. There's a gift page there. Thank you again so much to those of you that have supported us and helped us out with that. It makes all the difference. Uh, quick update on the building. We still are getting the building. They had to do a roof inspection, and so there was some storm damage. And it's looking like they're going to put a brand new roof on that joker, which is good because then all the work we do inside is not going to get trashed and damaged. So thank God for that. Appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful Christmas. No, Sarah and I love you guys. We love you guys. Hey, I, I was just thinking this week, I love this church, man. Hey, if I wasn't the preacher, I'd come here. I love you guys, man. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Don't get caught up in the hype and the drama and the stress of it all. Just breathe, man. Serenity now. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Christmas. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.